Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to the New Books in Indian Religions podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. And apropos uh, the new broader brand of the podcast, we have a publication today in the wonderful world of Sikhism. Uh, I have the pleasure of speaking with uh, Dr. Michael Philip um, Bruner, who is a visiting uh, researcher at Tufts University on his um, new publication, Education on and Modernity in Colonial Punjab, Kalsa College, the Sikh Tradition, and Webs of Knowledge. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, hi Raj. Thanks for having me. So tell us what your book is about. What is this Kalsa College? As the title says at the at the core, it's a it's a history of this uh, institution in uh, in Amritsar in northwestern India. Uh, as you said, it's 1880 to 1947, so it's about the colonial history of this institution that uh, still exists uh, until today. And what I try to analyze in this book is kind of a, a form of Sikh modernity that was developed at this institution. And uh, yeah, I try to consider um, a lot of local, regional, national, imperial, and uh, also global dynamics that uh, yeah impacted this, this process. So what sort of data were you looking at for this publication? Yeah, that was uh, quite a lot of archival material. Uh, of course, uh, sources from uh, the college itself, like the, the obvious uh, reports and college magazine and uh, a lot of other institutional sources, like organizations that were um, kind of uh, backing this institution, like the, the chief Khalsa Divan. So I was looking at these or organizational uh, sources like reports, minute, yeah, stuff like that. Uh, but as well, uh, a lot of uh, state, uh, or meaning government records, uh, because this institution was, uh, at least until the 1920s, uh, quite uh, a lot, quite impacted by uh, the British government, which had kind of a tight uh, grasp at the institution. So yeah, there's a lot of government sources also, which were very helpful. And then, of course, the like material to get a grasp of the broader uh, like public uh, reception of the institution, like uh, yeah, newspapers, uh, both in uh, English mainly and uh, Punjabi as well. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, well, it's uh, it's uh, structured in uh, four main chapters, which are all quite uh, quite long, and which each deal with kind of a. Yeah, kind of one topic or more like a, a complex of, of topics. So uh, in the first chapter, uh, I kind of traditionally tell the, the chronological history of this institution, but with a view on uh, kind of social or social religious developments in Punjab and among the Sikh community at that time during this kind of 60, 70 years that I cover. So we had the first chapter um, covers a lot of politics in Punjab, social developments, and of course, as I said, the 
particular institution of this college itself. Then in the next three chapters, I yeah talk more about some uh, specific topics which I found were um, quite prominent at this institution. I mean, chapter two, it's uh, religion, <laughs> obviously, meaning uh, yeah, uh, Sikhism. And uh, here, uh, first, I kind of look at how these new or modern forms of reformist or neo-Sikhism or whatever you'd like to call it were uh, yeah, translated at this institution and uh, institutionalized, uh, institutionalized uh, the big impact that uh, scholars at the institution had in uh, developing translations and stuff like that. But I also try in the second half of the chapter um, to look how the college and the involved uh, scholars and professors and uh, activists kind of uh, tried to frame or develop their Sikhism in a very uh, kind of global framework, um, yeah, which allowed them to participate in yeah, global networks and yeah, postulate their own kind of uh, place in this modern world. So yeah, that's the second part of this chapter. Then the next chapter um, talks about um, agriculture, um, which was, again, a very prominent uh, topic at the institution. Um, first, um, as I said, at least until the 1920s, um, the British Indian or the Punjab government had quite a lot of influence in the institution. So in the maybe first three years of the 30 years of the institution, um, it was kind of a, of a pioneering uh, small little um, example of, of a kind of Punjabi paternalist uh, agriculture um, discourses or rural reconstruction discourses. Um, then afterwards, after the British withdrew from the institution or rather were kind of thrown out, they, uh, the college kept to this uh, kind of agricultural focus. But uh, what again is quite interesting, they uh, developed it in ways that they were looking more uh, at other kind of nationalist enterprises in this regard, like, uh, uh, I mean, schemes from uh, by Tagore or Gandhi and stuff like that. But at the same time, also um, looked more at global discourses of uh, so-called rural reconstruction, and which I, what I find, found very interesting, they kind of uh, looked at the USA, which at that point were uh, like the epitome of modern scientific agriculture, and uh, yeah, sent a lot of uh, teachers and scholars to the US and had some corporations and stuff like that. So towards the end of the chapter, um, there is actually like small links to later Cold War uh, kind of US development aid, cooperation, stuff like that. So that I found really interesting. Then in the last of the large uh, main chapters, um, I talk about um, kind of military schemes and physical education schemes at the college, which were uh, another kind of uh, focus at the institution. And uh, yeah, here again, you had kind of, yeah, these kind of interesting dynamic processes that the college had to, or yeah, referred at once or at the same time to kind of imperial debates and narratives about the Sikhs, about gender and the Indian body and <clears throat> um, topics like that, but uh, they also um, yeah tried to kind of modernize their uh, 
kind of traditional sporting schemes and stuff like that by uh, again uh, um, participating or drawing from kind of global knowledge uh, exchanges, especially in the realm of uh, physical culture. So, yeah, these are the main chapters. And of course, there's an introduction and conclusion. Could you say a bit more about what you talk about in chapter three with um, 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 modern Sikhism, these, these initiatives? Can you talk about that? How did they attempt to modernize Sikhism? Mm-hmm. The book uh, is not so much a kind of uh, work interest in Sikh theology or what might have been uh, developed uh, as that during this period. So it doesn't go that much into that, but uh, it really it shows how um, this kind of um, Khalsa-oriented like homogenized uh, versions of Sikhism were kind of institutionalized through or at this institution through like uh, regular uh, rituals and uh, teachings for its students. But as I said, also through uh, uh, the publication of uh, um, of translations, of annotated uh, commentaries and stuff like that of, yeah, of the scriptures. In Sikhism. Yeah. Could you tell us a bit about your background and how you ended up studying this school? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, of course, it's a very specific uh, topic. So, yeah. It's niche, to be sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I mean, it might sound like there would be some kind of very specific uh, connection or personal connection, but uh, in the end, it was more a result of a kind of developing intellectual uh, curiosity. But um, there is, if we go back, uh, like at the very start, there is some, uh, or it rooted in some kind of coincidence, because um, at one of my first classes, when I was a history student, I uh, actually uh, had a class on uh, just like religion and politics in colonial uh, South Asia, and um, I was very randomly uh, assigned to do a presentation on uh, on the Sikh community, and uh, so uh, this kind of stick to me. Then, of, of course, I learned more about colonialism, about South Asian history, and stuff like that. But this kind of interest in history of Punjab and history of the Sikhs kind of uh, yeah remained. I then got more interested in especially history of education. In colonial South Asia, and uh, yeah, when I was kind of looking into education uh, among the Sikhs, yeah, I came more and more uh, across this college, which uh, I found really interesting because, yeah, as I maybe already kind of implied, there were a lot of dynamics and uh, yeah processes which kind of converged at this institution, like uh, I mean, collaboration with the whole imperial project, anti-imperial uh, resistance, and as I said, these dynamics of reno- renegotiation, uh, re- sorry, re- renegotiating uh, Sikh religion. And of course, you also had these kind of yeah, fascinating uh, knowledge exchanges and education networks and stuff like that. So I was kind of surprised that there never had been like a long scholarly uh, 
analysis of this institution. While, of course, um, you had, I mean, already in the 80s, like studies on Muslim institutions, especially. And then after the 2000s uh, or in the 2000s, um, more like newer studies on institutions like Banaras, Hindu University and stuff like that. But yeah, Casa College was never really covered. So yeah, when it was my time to get to my uh, PhD thesis, yeah, really thought that that would be a great topic. It's a fascinating, um, fascinating uh, project, insight into this this college and its its situation historically and geographically and culturally. Say something about you talk about in chapter five in terms of disciplining the quote unquote martial Sikh of the school. I mean, maybe I have to talk a little bit about kind of the background of the college in terms of who were in charge there um, because, uh, yeah, it's kind of a, again, interesting dynamic because on the kind of level of management, you had these like old um, elites, like of the aristocratic or very large uh, landowning background and uh, very close ties to the uh, princely states in Punjab. So especially among these groups, there until quite late uh, remained quite a lot of loyalism towards the yeah, colonial state. But at the same time, of course, as an educational institution, you had these kind of new middle classes and groups, um, professors and scholars and stuff that were more inclined toward uh, yeah, these kind of anti-imperial uh, movements and nationalist movements. So the college had like to, um, yeah, coincide with all these kind of uh, currents. And yeah, to get back to uh, physical education, you saw, um, for instance, that there was a big emphasis on the, on the military training, which the college from early on kind of wanted to include at the institution. Um, at some point, very early, there was even a, a talk about uh, or starting it as an actual <laughs> military school, but uh, that never happened. So, uh, yeah, kind of military drill and uh, stuff like that uh, um, took kind of an important role uh, from early on in these uh, physical education schemes at the institution. So why don't you say a note about how you mentioned about the intrigue of who was in charge, but maybe flesh out a bit more about how this college came into being, who founded it, when, why, is it still running today? Like, tell us a bit about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, its origins went back to the 1880s when you had, of course, you also had kind of since uh, these organizations like the Arya Samaj and the Anjumani Himayat Islam which uh, opened their colleges in Lahore, especially, which was the kind of educational center. And uh, yeah, among the Sikhs, you also had these kind of social religious reform groups like the Singh Sabha movement and the uh, Khalsa Divans, which are, of course, well, well researched. And uh, yeah, they too kind of yeah, wanted to start their own communal institution. Um, but those were in some, yeah, kind of unlike maybe the other institutions, uh, these things about were quite a 
tied also to these uh, yeah more princely states. So uh, eventually, um, when the college was founded, um, it was founded with a lot of money from these princely states, but also with a lot of help from the uh, British Indian government. So you might even say at first it was kind of a cooperation between these two or three groups, these social reformist groups, princely aristocratic groups and uh, the British Indian government. And this actually, this remained uh, like that, like until the 1920s, in the late 19s and 1910s, um, the government actually got even more hold of the institution. But uh, in 1920s, then uh, kind of in the wake of the whole non-cooperation movement, and of course, also after the experience of the Chalian Wallenbach massacre, Gader movement, and stuff like that, um, yeah, the institution was uh, nationalized. It was called, and the British Indian government, uh, yeah, completely withdrew from the institution and its constitution. Um, but this still meant, uh, or it didn't really meant that it got in the hand of these newer, more radical Sikh groups like the, the Akalis, which kind of started also in these early 1920s, but it actually remained in the hands of these yeah, old elites, which still uh, remained quite an uh, yeah, uh, interest in cooperating with the government. So especially then in the 1920s and 30s, you had these, yeah, quite aggressive conflicts between uh, Akali critics of the institution and uh, its management, which kind of, yeah, still try to appease the, the government, which uh, yeah, eventually in the 1930s uh, resulted in a bomb attack, actually, which uh, yeah led to the death of one of its students. So yeah, it was kind of a contested uh, arena at the college then in the later late colonial years. Yeah. So what do you conclude in your study? Uh, uh, tell us particularly about this idea of localized modernity. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, educational modernity, of course, are the main, two main like words or topics as they are in the title of the book. <laughs> and uh, modernity, of course, is a kind of yeah contested term. So uh, what I understand is, or I understand it less as uh, in the reign of this modernization theory, and that's not my intention to kind of look how yeah, these developments in Punjab or among the six might have fulfilled I mean, any kind of claims for modernization or not. But I was more interested at modernity as a, as a sense for the six or as a tool. And uh, this maybe leads me to the education um, part, because um, I would say that, you know, for quite long scholarship with education kind of tends to talk either about education as kind of imperial um, imposition or uh, education in terms of uh, anti-imperialist resistance. But uh, what I found very interesting at this institution was uh, how education and these kind of idioms of modernity were used by the six to kind of evolve their uh, very own interpretation of their own identity or of their place in India. Yeah, which, as I think I implied already, was quite of difficult because at one, uh, or because on one hand, um, you had this kind of 
cooperation with the government, which still, but which also was kind of contested, like all the time by various groups. But on the other hand, uh, the mainstream nationalist movement was for a lot of them uh, not kind of a appealing option. So they had to kind of find their own their own way. And uh, what I try to argue in this book is that this happened through kind of adhering to these idioms of uh, modernity, like uh, specific scientificity, a kind of universalist approach to uh, to um, to knowledge, meaning uh, that they were very happy to um, draw from yeah what might have been considered Western science because they didn't un- understand it as Western, but uh, yeah, kind of alluding to to Sikh tradition as kind of uh, synthesis of earlier uh, religious thought, then uh, yeah, trying to claim a modernity that would kind of bring together East and West and the various Indian uh, yeah, nationalities or communities. And for this, this kind of adherence to these typical type of uh, discourses like imperial, national, but also global, yeah, helped in kind of producing this uh, framework of Sikh modernity. So what are you studying now at Tufts? Yeah, yeah, I moved on kind of uh, from uh, the Kaza College, especially as, of course, very narrow subject. Uh, but uh, I work at uh, Tufts on a new project, uh, which deals uh, with uh, Protestant uh, internationalism and uh, American missionaries, the Indian Christians in the in the in uh, in colonial South Asia, in the late colonial period, especially in the uh, interwar movement. Actually, um, this project it has some ties to what I was looking at uh, before, because uh, yes, I said you already had in the nineteen twenties and thirties, even at this. Sikh College, uh, you could find some traces of this, uh, yeah, American influence in areas like uh, agriculture and physical education, where you had uh, often like uh, kind of missionary-based uh, attempts or schemes that went more in a in a direct in a yeah, let's say secular direction, uh, dealing with uh, matters like agriculture, social work, and education. So, uh, while on the other hand, um, I have in chapter three, I think, some passages which kind of show uh, kind of an internationalist scene in uh, in religious uh, exchange in the 1920s and 30s, of course, in a wake of a, of a general um, internationalism after the First World War and uh, with the League of Nations and stuff like that. So, yeah, in this new project, I kind of bring try to bring uh, these topics together a little bit, like these new new schemes uh, and enterprises of American missions in the US, but also Protestant internationalism as a very uh, global discussion or global scene. And then again, uh, also the role of uh, Indian Christians in these uh, uh, networks. Great. Was there anything else about the book that you hope to touch on today? I mean, I hope readers uh, will like it. <laughs> and uh, I hope that it, uh, I mean, I'm 
would maybe like to emphasize, of course, it's a very, uh, it's a study on a particular institution, but I do think um, it kind of speaks to a, or might speak to a lot of interests. And so it shouldn't, uh, people shouldn't be uh, afraid that it will only talk about the college uh, as such. So, yeah. so tell us, let's flesh out or unpack what are those interests that it may speak to? So who might be, uh, who may benefit from or enjoy this book? What subfields or, or interests pertain? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do. it's a case study, of course, but I do it. It should be of interest for everybody who has an interest in yeah education in colonial South uh, Asia. And uh, I already mentioned like the individual chapters and uh, in these chapters, I always try to, yeah, kind of contextualize very broad to, uh, what happens at the college. So there is a lot of stuff that, uh, yeah, for instance, I might relate to a kind of a global uh, religious history in the early 20th century and like, yeah, processes of homogenization and uh, the emergency of this kind of world religion discourse and stuff like that. Or uh, in the chapter on agriculture, there's a lot of about this global re- re- rural reconstruction discourse. So uh, I think the individual topics uh, talked about in the chapters, yeah, they are such uh, of interest to uh, people. So yeah, then uh, still, um, I mean, I spent quite a lot of time at Casa College uh, itself during my research and uh, I didn't mention it, but it's still existing and still running. And uh, it still is kind of considered uh, an institution of, of, of heritage with quite a lot of historical important, importance to the six. So, uh, yeah, I would also be happy if the book yeah, might find some interest among people interested in the particular institution. Um, although, yeah, I think sadly there aren't any actual alumni anymore from the period I was looking at. So, but yeah. Great. Well, thank you for speaking with me today about your book. Yeah, thank you. So for those of you listening, uh, we have been speaking with Dr. Michael Philip Brunner, who is a visiting researcher at Tufts University on his uh, new 2020 Palgrave Macmillan publication, Education and Modernity in Colonial Punjab, Khalsa College, the Sikh Tradition, and the Webs of Knowledge, 1880 to 1947. Uh, Until next time, uh, keep listening, keep reading, stay safe.